You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Now that heart is beating fast, and that's the rhythm I can dance to. Well, I'm mighty glad I've got a chance to, that one big heart that's beating fast. Tomorrow morning, let it rain. Tomorrow morning, let it pour. Tonight we're in the groove together. Ain't gonna worry about stormy weather. Gonna kick all trouble out the door. Beat out old trouble and drunk. Beat out old Welcome to Radical Australia on Community Radio 3CR. This is, uh, my name is Joseph Lascaux, I'm hosting today's program. I've got the erstwhile, wonderful, I think she's a producer. You've forgotten my name, Joe. <laughs> no, Kelly Whitworth. How are you I, going? I'm well, but I nearly forgot the name of the singer. You but, did. But you reminded me. I just had a, a very senior moment, an exceptionally senior moment. Now, our poor guest, at the end of the line, Bree Taylor is wondering what she's let herself into. Hello, Bree. Hi, how are you doing? Yes, well, I look, I, no, that's, I mean, you can't ask me how I'm going. I'm supposed to ask you how you're going. But I don't want to know how you're going. Uh, I'm very well, thank you. How does that sound? Does that sound real? Mm, mm. Sounds like you're one of those people at the supermarket. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Have a nice day. Yeah. Would you like chips with that? Good <laughs> <Okay. laughs> Now, Brie, I've got to ask you a really personal question. Yeah. Is that your real name, Brie? Yeah. Is that on your birth certificate? Yeah. Yeah. So it depends on if I like you or not. Sometimes I pretend it's another name. It's the short for Sabrina. If I don't like people, I say that. Sabrina. Yeah. That's a very lovely name. But it's not short for Sabrina. It's just Brie. It's just Brie. Yeah, my dad, my dad picked it. Did he? Well, you're the yeah. fifth kid and they've run out of names or something? He had it. It was a book he was reading. It was a some uh, Irish book, I think. Uh-huh. And there was a princess named Brie. It's a princess named Brie. Yeah. I tell people it's like, you know, like the cheese, but it's, <laughs> I'm vegan, so it's kind of weird. No, look, I prefer to be a, a princess than a cheese, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so, Brie Taylor, now... Just to orientate our listeners, because you could be one of these very young, nasty little people, what year were you born? I was born in 1977. I was born the day I was Presley died, actually. Really? Yeah, same date. Why didn't they call you Elvis? I, I Well, I want to change my middle name to Elvis. I still haven't done it. Uh, you got to go to parks this year, because they've changed the festival to April. Oh, really? Yeah, it's usually earlier on in the year, but they thought they'd change the date, and it's actually uh, coincide with Tamworth. You like that? Two of the major festivals coinciding with each other. Oh, 
either. You should go to Parks. I'm thinking of going to Parks this year, something interesting. Where is it? New South Wales. Uh, I've only been to Nario in the sort of Spoke Festival thing. Mm-hmm. Mm. All right. The other festivals I've been to are a bit, bit, bit more techno-y. Techno-y. You're not yeah. a fumper, are you? Fumper. Not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> okay. Let's go back to the very, very beginning. 1977, the day Elvis oh, Presley died. Brie Taylor. The day I became the reincarnation of Elvis. <laughs> can, can you... If you're the reincarnation, I'm going to test you. Who, okay, who was that singer that we... Oh, I have no idea. I was... I was gonna like I really wanted it to be Patsy Biscoe, but mm. it wasn't. No, it was Margaret Road Knight. A, a bit too old for you. You wouldn't even know who yeah. Margaret was. No, she was an icon. Was oh, she's still around. I interviewed her on the program a few years ago, but she's still around. But she's a bitter old woman <laughs> because all the great songs she sang, which were hits, she gets no royalties from because somebody else oh. wrote wrote them. Did you know yeah. that? I didn't know that. Oh. Now, let's get back to you. Born in 77. Were you born, I assume you were born in Australia? Yeah, I was born in Melbourne at the Mercy. Right. Information about myself, yep. At the Mercy. And uh, are your parents still alive? Uh, My dad is. My mum is not. She died at the start of last year, just before COVID sort Mm. of kicked off. Right. She actually died like the day after ScoMo did his first address to the nation. Right. Did, yeah. Was she was she ill or did it happen suddenly? Um, no, she was ill for a long time. She had, um, well, I think it started, honestly, like I think she got really sick after my brother died when I was 15. Like I think that's when she mm. started to sort of go downhill. And mm-hmm. um, then she had, she had emphysema and rheumatoid arthritis. Right. And osteoporosis. And COPD, and she just, yeah, she just went really downhill. She was in a home. She was only 66 when she died, but mm. she was in a home for a while because right. she chose to go into the home. Good. It's very hard sometimes. Mm. Yeah. yeah. When you've got mm. multiple chronic disabilities, it's very hard for yeah, everybody. Yeah, yeah. Really, I don't know. Mm. She was very scared as well, like very afraid towards the end of her life, so right. I don't know. Mm. kind of feel like in some ways it's better she died when she did than after we sort of all went into lockdown and mm. and she would have been really scared. Well, at least and her dog wouldn't have been able to visit her and she loved her dog visiting. Mm. Well, that's, yeah. yeah. And have you got, you, you mentioned you, one of your brothers died. Have you got any other brothers and sisters that are alive? Yeah, I've got two other brothers that are from my dad's, um, my stepmom and my dad. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they're younger. I just went there for the weekend. Right. And we hung out with them. We went to see music. That was really good. That's good. So they're old enough to appreciate the fest- the music festivals. Oh, yeah, they're 29 and... Whoa! <laughs> 29 and 27. The, the 27-year-old wasn't there, just the 29-year-old. We went to um, watch someone called Death String. She was amazing. She was like John Butler, but 21 mm-hmm. and... Just amazing, like so good at the guitar. I was really good. I was surprised. It was 12 bucks. 12 bucks. Yeah. You can't even get. And in a pub. It was so good. You can't even get 10 cigarettes for 12 bucks these days. <laughs> you, no. you did well. I know. We did really well. I was so pleasantly surprised. 
And do you want to say anything about your mum, what type of person she was? You don't have to, but if you want to. Um, yeah, my mum was really, like, she was really gentle, a like, really gentle, kind person. So I think, um, oh, my cat is sitting right up on me now. You can probably hear him purring. Um, she, yeah, she. I think she taught me a lot about how you should treat people and animals. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, she was just... Is the cat biting you because we're having trouble hearing you? Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. Can you hear me now? <laughs> yeah, we can hear you now, yeah. No, um, I think it was probably me um, getting all nostalgic. Right. Um, yeah, so she was, me and her were like really, really good friends. So right. it was always very generous to people and, yeah, really sweet. And also quite political. Like, when I grew up, she really loved Bob Thorpe. Right. And she had, like, all these pictures of him inside the pantry. Mm-hmm. So I used to think that he was some kind of food Santa or something. Mm-hmm. She loved him. Right. He loved Christmas and not loved Santa, so <laughs> <laughs> she also taught me that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's good. And yeah. uh, you said your dad's still alive. You want to say anything about him? Yeah, my dad's also pretty similar. He's quite quiet and gentle as well, my dad, I would say. I mean, he's getting a bit more cranky in his old age. Uh, look, 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 yeah, he, he's me, he's me, just, he's like me, he's cranky as you get older. I'm now, I'm a septuagenarian now, and since I turned oh. 70 a few weeks ago, I've just become oh, yeah. unbearable. Happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but I'm still unbearable. <laughs> My dad is, um, yeah, he spends a lot of time being angry at the world these days, I think. I think he always did, but, um... Do you want to say anything about, you did mention that you had a, a young brother who died, do you want to say anything about that? You don't have to, but if, if you wish. Uh, no, he's older than me. Um, yeah, no, I'd rather not really talk about that's him. Fine. Um, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. Now, did you go to prep and primary school? I assume you went to primary school somewhere. Where did you go? Yeah, I went to Montrose Primary. Montrose? Up, yeah. Up in the hills? Trees. Yep, so I grew up around trees. Uh-huh. I loved it. I loved primary school. Right. I was actually in Montrose Monday. Nice. The trees are still there. Area. The trees are still yeah, there. Yeah, I looked at that primary school and I think, no wonder I love the forest. Right. right. So you had reasonable time at primary school or were you having troubles or no i loved it i was pretty shy when i was little Mm -hmm. i used to hide behind my dad's legs and yeah it really embarrassed really easily but um as i got older i I don't know got much more extroverted i think i discovered alcohol and stuff right not a good way but anyway well we'll we'll follow that path later on in the interview we've got a long long time Is there uh, any teachers that kind of influenced you in primary school that you still remember? Oh, that's a good question. Hmm. I remember I was quite influenced by my grade two teacher. She was, um, people used to say she used to be in the army. Like, that's what, I don't know if that was true. Um, she was really, really mean. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and she would always do is like, Right, she would come in and there'd be this story she'd written on the blackboard 
and we'd have to just copy it down with pencil and we'd have to rule straight margins and if anything was not straight or if your pencil was not sharp enough, um, you'd have to repeat it. So, I mean, I was like really a perfectionist, so I didn't have to repeat it, but she used to hit people with the big long ruler as well. Not me, but I used to really... Oh, um, it brings back memories of my primary school days. That's wonderful. I, no, I remember once she hit one of the students for he peed himself. Right. And I remember that, like, I just remember thinking that was so unreasonable. Mm. And, um, yeah, and I also just remember thinking that the sharpness of the pencil was not as important as my mind, as, like, in grade two. So I think she really, yeah... She did. <laughs> she taught me a lot, but not in, like she taught me positive things, but from an, in using some sort of negative techniques. Negative techniques, yeah. And yeah. So, and so, when you left uh, Montrose Primary, did you go to local high school? Yeah, I went to Pembroke, which is in Moorabark. It was a rough school, I've heard. At the time, you don't realise it's rough until you meet other people that didn't go there. We were the bad kids. What do you mean you were the bad kids? I think that school, that's what I've been told, that was where all the naughty kids went, to Pembroke. Right. So why were you sent to Pembroke? Were you a naughty kid? Oh, no. My older brother had gone and all my friends were going. That was the public school that was closest to my primary, I think. Right. Just a lot of my friends were going. My mum wanted me to go to public, uh, private. She wanted me to go to like, Oxley College and other, but I refused. And yeah. she was just so reasonable, my mum. Like, she wanted me to be happy. So, yeah. and I did really well. Like, I like learning. Right. So, what did you do well in? Mm, in primary school, I did, I mean, high school, uh, writing. I really liked writing. Mm-hmm. I was really good at woodwork, which was weird. Um, and I've since learned that we had all these compulsory subjects that other schools don't have, like sewing and home ec. Like, everyone had to do that. So I think that was good because we learnt, like, everyone learnt how to cook basic things and how to sew a shirt and, you know, woodwork. Yep, yep. It was sort of varied. But, um, yeah, I really liked writing mainly. Mm. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. In those days, they used to stream children quite early into different streams. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they definitely put me in the, you know, artsy writing kind of hippie stream. All right, you've used the H word. You've used the H word. (laughs) Describe what you would wear to school on a hippie day. It depends, though. So I went through a phase when everyone sort of discovered brands and I'd wear brands. Mm -hmm. So maybe when I was like 13, 14. And then as I got older, I discovered other things like alcohol and weed and stuff and then I became a grunge type I got really into that sort of music and mm. wear op shop clothes like long skirt mainly purple and orange and green mm-hmm. yeah a lot of holes in my clothes which my parents didn't like but my dad more had the issue with it my mum would just sort of would go with things and uh, until I was just waiting for me to grow out of it I think yeah, yeah. yeah. she sounds a very wonderful woman really she was. I remember at one stage I wanted to get a scooter for my first vehicle, mm-hmm. like a motor scooter. And um, my dad was like, you're not getting a scooter. And then my mum said, okay, well, well, she took me to the scooter shop. And like, we 
showed me all the different clothes. I brought the woman over that worked there and got her to show me all the clothes and was asking all these questions like, uh, what about when it rains? And then what about when it's hailing? What should you wear for that? And then she's like, what about when it's like 40 degrees or 35 degrees? And I was just like, I don't want to ride a scooter anymore. <laughs> she's such a smart, she was such a smart woman. Yeah, yeah, she was good, but she didn't say no. She no, just convinced yeah. me otherwise. Yeah, they didn't talk about head injuries and what what happens when you fall off and the quality uh, of the helmets and all that stuff. No, none of that. It was more about just keeping the uh, the elements. But she was amazing. Mm. So, did you finish uh, high school? Yeah, I finished. I was like, yep, I did really well. I actually got kicked out of home when I was I was sixteen or seventeen by my mum's ex. Um, so for the last year of school, that was like the end of year 11. For the last year of school, I lived in a caravan near my school, um, with the back of my uncle and aunties, Mm -hmm. which was a bit of a party van, to be honest. Um, but I still tried really hard and I passed, I did well. That's good. Is there anything you did particularly well in that you remember? Mm, I did well in English. Right. The teacher was horrible. So you did, what, you did well despite the teaching. Yeah, I feel like I do that. It seems to be a pattern, eh? All you're talking about is terrible teachers. Did you have one good teacher? Oh, I had this amazing teacher, Mrs. Margaret Prentice, her name was, mm-hmm. in Year 11 Literature. I remember she came over to my, when I was in Year 12, she came into the caravan and helped me with one of my essays as mm-hmm. well. And yeah, she was really nice. Right. She was really cool as well. Right. Yeah, I loved her. Well, I think at that age you need something positive. I mean, mm. living in a caravan, loads at the back of your aunt and uncle's place is still very hard. At yeah, 16 I think, and 17. I think at the time it didn't really, I didn't realise how much impact that probably had. Yeah. Yeah, I sort of thought it was like, fun. Right. Because there's no parental control. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I could do what I want after that. And then, then it became boring. Mm. Well, yeah, because I lived out of home from then on. So oh. after that, I yeah moved in with a partner and stuff. So, oh. so it's boring, yeah. Mm, sounds like suburbia at eighteen. <laughs> yeah. What did uh, after high school did you? pursue any further education or did you fall into some type of work or no i went to monash i went to uni i did a bachelor of arts um i majored in aboriginal studies because i felt like when we're at school we weren't really taught much about um the first nations people of australia like we were taught what we were taught i had realized was wrong Mm -hmm. um so i majored which I was sure, I actually would think that some of the stuff we learnt at uni now would be not considered correct either. Um, but that's okay, I guess. You know, it's not okay, but well, you can only you can only, do, you can only deal with what best. what people yeah. know at that particular point in time. Did you major exactly. in Aboriginal studies because you knew Aboriginal people, or just you just felt you needed to know more? Yeah, I felt like I, sh- I needed to know more, and that we had. I felt like we'd been lied to. So. Mm-hmm. Like, my parents, well, my dad particularly, always taught me to question authority, I think, or, you know, the main discourse. Mm-hmm. And then I stayed at uni and did a Bachelor of Law. Laws. Yeah. That's, that's, that's four or five years, isn't it? 
It was three and three. Six. Because I'd done some of it in the, in the um, Aboriginal studies, which was Koori studies, it was called now. I wonder. They keep changing the name. Um, I think I did maybe four subjects that, were, that rolled over into the law degree mm-hmm. and just some other arts subjects. So, yeah, it was six years altogether. Am I talking to a lawyer here? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to be. I was going to, you know, cross my no. T's and dot my eyes. So no, I really found it incredibly boring. Um, what's, what's, think, what's, what's wrong with contract law? Oh. <laughs> you know, what was the most boring was environmental law. Randomly, right? Um, yeah, but I think it was because of how it was delivered. Contract was okay. It was kind of like math, but yeah, I think after studying Aboriginal studies, it was more boring than it, need, it would have been otherwise. Like, if I had done them at the same time, it would have been easier. Mm. But you passed. I did pass. Just. But you did pass. A pass yeah. is a pass is a pass. A pass is a pass. Yeah. And, yeah, I had some stuff happen during it as well. Like, my grandma died. and. So were yeah. you close to your grandma? Oh, yeah, really close. Do you want to speak about it? She died just before my contracts exam, which is probably why you made me think of her. Um, yeah, she was my mum's mum. She was beautiful. She was a strong woman, very strong in her opinions on people <laughs> and if she didn't like someone. Um, yeah, she just held her ground well, I think. She looked after me when I was little a lot because my mum was working mm-hmm. my dad, so... Yeah, she's good. And my grandpa, who was married to her. Arfi, we call him. He's my favourite man. Mm, well, tell us about him, because he obviously had an impact on your life. He, they were both from England. He had a really strong Brummie accent, but I didn't notice until I was 29. <laughs> he just sounded like my grandpa. <laughs> and, um, yeah, my friends would say, he's got such a strong accent. I'd be like, no, he doesn't. Um. He was fun. He was like a kid, which at once it took me till I was about twelve or thirteen to realise he was a bit odd. <laughs> and because um, before that, he was just really, really fun. Like I would, he'd take me to the park. But I think he was going there for himself. Like I wonder now if he used to go to the park without me when I was little. And he taught me like he had toys and stuff, but, but they were his toys. <laughs> he taught me how to play the skill tester. You know the claw. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really good at that because of him. Is there any stuffed toys you got? Um, now, I don't have as many as I had. And, mm. yeah, so I've got, like, the ones from when I was little. Now I'm talking about the claw, the ones the ones you won with the claw. Oh, no, I give them to people. Yeah, you, know, you give them away, do you? I always give them, yeah, to someone else. Yeah, but you're good, you're good at it. You can work out the angle, the freedom. Yeah. Because I mean, I'm very good at the claw too, you know. Oh, yeah. I've got, 20, oh, I've got 22 gorillas to prove it from <laughs> one machine. <laughs> there used to be this one machine in Upper Fernsey Gully where the Maxi Foods is, and yep. you could always win on it. Right, yeah. Yeah. yeah they've got a bit... I'm a grandfather now, and I'm tr- trying to win for the grandkids, but it's very hard now because they kind of... It's not as easy as it used to be. Maybe it's because I'm getting older. What do you reckon, Bree? Yeah, well, no, I think that they're, they're making the machines, they're slotting them in more, you know mm. what I mean? Yeah, They, yeah. like, spread them into each other so you ca- they catch on each other. And they charge too much. 
Oh, I charge a horrendous amount, yep. Stop being, like, worth it. No. So, six years at university, the door opens. People are, you know, are inundating you with job offers. Is this no, correct? Definitely not. <laughs> what year was this? <laughs> I finished uni in 2003. And people weren't knocking on your door saying, please work for us? No. I was... I have quite the history of substance abuse. <laughs> mm. So well, you, don't, you, you, don't, you don't have to speak about it if you don't want no, to. No, that's fine. I don't yeah. mind. I'm pretty open about that. Mm. Um, I've been clean for 11 years. So, right. Um, yeah, so I was, I was really not very motivated and I was unemployed for ages. Mm. Like I had no job history as well. Like I'd not worked through my degrees. My mum had supported me a lot and... Um, yeah, and so I just didn't get a job for a really long time. Mm. And then when I did, I got a job that was just sort of admin, menial stuff. Yeah, so now maybe I did that for a while. If, if you're willing, maybe That's because... That's not the right word. No. Yeah. I, I think maybe because if you're willing, maybe you go back regarding the substance abuse because yeah, a lot of people sure. go through that journey and they come out. Yeah. And they come out of the journey, and a lot of people think anybody's, you know, a junkie or whatever, or an alcoholic is always a junkie and an alcoholic. And I don't think people understand that a lot of people go through that journey and come out the other side, and they're better for yeah. it. Mm. So what? Yeah, do you... well, it teaches you a lot, I think, and especially like I've done a lot of, um, you know, recovery work. Mm -hmm. yeah. What What does that entail? What do you mean by recovery work? Oh, so I've been to different, like, programs, like I've done AA and NA and um, other things, like I've done drug and alcohol counselling. Let, let's, let's, go, let, let's, counseling. Let, let's go back, let's go back, because I think, I think this is important, because it... Yeah. AA, you're saying, what, Alcoholics Anonymous and Alcoholics and Yeah. Right. I did, yeah, I have. That's sort of... I did a whole... Like, I know... I know it's supposed to, really, it's supposed to be anonymous, but anyway... Um, <laughs> I think a lot of people, not a lot of people, some people, like, that's the only way for them. Right. But I don't, like, because I'm not someone who really does what I'm told. Um, You're kidding. I, I needed other stuff. Like, and I think for a long time I actually attributed my sobriety or clean time to AA and NA. And then when I look back, there was a lot of stuff I was doing when I got, when it all came to an end. Because mm -hmm. I was going to like a drug and alcohol counsellor. I was also doing some programs at the Bridge Centre in St Kilda, which was really good. Like we did this thing called the Butterfly Group with this um, guy named Vito, who's amazing, and he was a pharmacologist and a naturopath. Mm -hmm. So he had sort of both sides of knowledge, and he would explain to you exactly what was happening to your brain when you have a craving and all the things you needed, like physio like physically, like he'd say, take a bag of jelly beans because I drank right to the end a lot right. and and so you'd be craving sugar when you stop and if you have a craving have one jelly bean and then he'd say take dark chocolate so that because that does something else to the dopamine or something in your head and then um almonds so he'd say have those three things in your bags all the time you can have like a couple of almonds a piece of chocolate and a jelly bean and you feel better mm -hmm. he was amazing but he also just taught me a lot and then i started doing yoga at the time like but like Hare Krishna yoga with chanting mm -hmm. and stuff. Yep. 
um, which a friend of mine took me to, which I don't do that anymore, but I think all these things, like, really, it took up a lot of my time as well, I guess, which helps because I was, you know, needed to fill it with something that mm. wasn't using things. So, yeah. So, so, so but, why did you go down that path of um, trying to break the addiction? A lot of people don't. So I just, uh, I was really, like, I got to a point where I just felt empty. Like, there was nothing that was going to make me feel better. And I was just trying to pour. Like, at the end, I was just drinking every day mm. and, like, waking up, drinking. I mean, I had heaps of good times before that. I had, you know, like, I'd also become really good friends with someone who I think um, had, together, we sort of, like, encouraged each other. Right. And um, no, he was my best friend, and it, yeah, it just started on this spiral, and it got worse and worse. And I just, I was just really sad. Like I was really depressed, and I had this horrible sense of despair, mm. and I couldn't think of any way out of it. And I, I like, I just, yeah, I slashed myself up a lot. Mm-hmm. And an ambulance came, and then my friend came, the one I was talking about, and then he took me to my auntie's the same one I lived behind when I got kicked out of home, mm-hmm. who's not actually related to me at all, but was married to my uncle. Um, yeah, and I just, nothing was working anymore. Like, I just got her to take me to the bottle shop, and that wouldn't work, and then she took me to my dad's, and that didn't work, and I stole all their alcohol out of their cupboard. And, yeah, I just, I knew about AA and stuff, so I just, I couldn't think of anything else I couldn't imagine it getting better, but I didn't, like, thought it might not get any worse because it was just getting worse every day. I just felt like nothing, I just felt uncomfortable in my body all the time. Mm-hmm. And nothing was making it feel better, so, so. Yeah, and then I went, I rang AA the next day, and I went, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's so, his history, I so, yeah. I did everything I was told. That's what changed about me, too. Right. <laughs> well, you kind of get to a, as they say, the Rubicon. You either cross it or you don't. Mm. I mean, well, that's it. you know, I've been a doctor for almost forty—I think forty-five years now—and um, you get two types of addicts: those who they kind of get to a breaking point and they do mm. something, and those who basically say, "Well, this is how I want to end it and just continue." So obviously, yeah. you went the other way. Also, my best friend, the one I was talking about, who he came when when I was right at the end and came and looked after me when the ambulance came and stuff. He called the ambulance. Mm-hmm. Um, he died when I was 17 months sober, right. like, of his addiction. So mm-hmm. I think that made a huge difference in that, like, if I didn't relapse then, it made it sort of, I don't know, it was a thing. It was like... His, in honour of his memory, I had to work harder on my recovery. Right. Yeah. Did you have trouble accessing treatment? Because these days it can be very difficult for people with addict, addictions to actually access mm. publicly funded treatment. Or I didn't go to rehab, so mm. um, so I didn't try. Right, but I mean, yeah, just ac- accessing these different programs that you went to, I assume they're all public yeah no I didn't actually like I didn't I went through yeah a doctor mm-hmm. in, um, who was really amazing 
um, I tried to stop drinking earlier and had been to him. Mm. And I went, yeah, and then because well, AA and NA are free, um, the stuff at the Bridge Centre was free. Yeah, I did different programs there. Like we did a drumming program, which was fun. That was good to bang stuff. <laughs> I, I never but, thought, yeah. El- I didn't think Elvis Presley played the drums. If you're the reincarnation of. Anything. If you're the reincarnation of Elvis Presley, what's going on here? Maybe I'm involved. No, actually, my drumming skills are much to be desired. Um, what, can you keep a beat? Not well. <laughs> I think maybe you should look for a new, a new instrument. Maybe, yeah. the, maybe the tambourine or the cymbal. Yeah. I remember I, I was like you when I was a kid, I musically dead. So they yeah. used to... In the school orchestra, I'd have the uh, triangle. <laughs> and the teacher would look at me and, and point when I hit it. <laughs> maybe, maybe we're brothers and sisters as far as music is concerned, Brie. <laughs> so once you became yeah. clean and you break your addictive cycle, um, what yeah. did you get into? I think, like, I'd always been interested in different forms of activism, but I hadn't done much. Um, because I was very, um, like, I'd go to rallies and stuff, but I remember just going to stuff so hungover and just wanting to leave. Like, I remember going to one rally really hungover. It was really hot, and I didn't have water, and I didn't forgot my wallet, and it was just painful. So, yeah, I think I started becoming more active. I The job I was in was um, I worked in a call centre at the time, and... I became a union delegate there because they were, had no female delegates. Right. So I started getting involved in unionism. Well, that's um, unusual, isn't it, to have a call centre that's unionised? Well, it's actually really well unionised, that one, and it had really good conditions, I realise now, because then I went on to work for that union. Mm-hmm. So I became the lead organiser for that industry. So now I know like what the other call centres are. They're horrible. But that one was actually quite good. It was really, yeah, had a really good union agreement. So, Tell us the difference between a good call centre and a terrible call centre. Um, a good call centre is one where, like, they don't put, say, people's results up against each other. It's about, like, coaching people to do their best. Um, so, And people aren't working on any sort of commissions. They have a pay, a slight pay. And ones where they get fair breaks, um... So in this one, you'd get five minutes an hour flat, but also you'd get 20 minutes on top of that after four hours. And then most people didn't do more than four-hour shifts, but if they did, um, you'd get more as well. So um, there's also, it was like really well paid for a call centre. Mm-hmm. So most of them are on minimum wage or if they can get away with it below. And this one wasn't, it was decently paid. So it was part of this collective nationwide agreement that had been negotiated. So that's why... Um, yeah, it was actually... It was, I, I'm glad I worked there because it gave me good insight into what it was... Like, why I should fight for other call centres to improve. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. So, so, so what union were you a uh, lead organiser for? Oh, uh, that was the National Union of Workers. I became an organiser first and then I became the lead. That's where I met Lainey, Lane's son. <laughs> yes, yes. We've, that, we, we've, interview, we've interviewed that person. <laughs> Ah, right, cool. <laughs> yes, we know all about her. Yes. Out there in, uh, what is it, uh, mm-hmm. 
of the hills somewhere. Cockatoo, yeah. the cockatoo woman. Oh. Upways, is it? Upways. Upway, yeah. Upways, Upway. yeah. That's the trouble with you. That's the trouble with you, mountain women. You stick together. Montrose, Upways, Cockatoos, You're all the same. Yeah, they're awesome. Well, like my old mum used to say, "There's no praise like self-praise." Yeah. (laughs) So, after you uh, got out of the call centre, and what other type of stuff did and the union? What other stuff did you get involved? Um. So I started working for the Greens after that. What? You work for the Greens? They actually got jobs. How do you get a job job with the Greens? I started, I was the organiser of Lydia Thorpe's campaign. Did I meet you you there? Was this the Northcote campaign? Yeah, the second time. Not the campaign when she won, but the second time. No, I wasn't. I was was actually standing in the same seat with her. Yeah. For the first one? For the one. first one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the first one. So you're working yeah. for the second one. Mm. Yeah, no, so I worked... I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't put that on your CV. You lost, remember? The Greek oh. vote got you. <laughs> I remember. It was the worst night. Yeah. <laughs> it was horrible. So, yeah, I worked um, on that campaign and then I worked on Adam Bant's next federal one mm-hmm. for a bit. So what, is, what does that entail? So, Adam, you know, he's leader of the Greens now. What does it entail working on a campaign? What did you do, say, in Adam's campaign? What, what type of, mm. Give us a typical day. The two campaigns were really different because mm. Adam's already a Member of Parliament, so he has a really well-set-up office. Um, so I was an organiser and we had three... So on Lydia's campaign, say, that I was the organiser, I was the only paid person on staff until the end, mm-hmm. whereas Adam had maybe eight people... I don't know if that's the correct number it felt like about, maybe more than that. Mm-hmm. He had, like, a chief of staff, he had lecturer officers, right. and then for the campaign team, he had, like, the lead organiser and three organisers. Right. And so it was completely different. Like we, and so it was really, really well run. And they'd done it before, so they knew exactly how to do it. So we would have to find volunteers to um, run, like, phone banks, and so we would be finding the people to run them rather right. than running them ourselves or anything. And um, and to run door knocks, and then we train those volunteers to train the other volunteers. So it's hard work. Um, it's hard work, an election campaign. Yeah, it's hard, but it's also, um, there's an end in sight, so you can work hard because there's a short period of time. Mm-hmm. Whereas, say, like, union work is less stressful, less hard, but it's, it's harder in a way because it's constant. Like, you don't have an end where you know you can breathe. Mm. Yeah, so after that, I, yeah, that, that was, I don't know, it was interesting. I'm no longer, I am now a political atheist, I call myself. A political atheist. Yeah. Um, I don't know about atheism as a philosophical, <laughs> so political, does that mean you're apolitical or does that mean you're involved in parliamentary politics? It means I'm not involved in anything. In any anything? Politics. Anything? No political Electronic party. parliamentary politics, you mean? Yeah, no political party, yeah. No political party. No affiliation. Right, no affiliation. What what brought you to that uh, position? Um, just, I think, being involved in it and then watching how people treat each other. Um just sort of, it's like, I was involved in the Greens for a really, really long time. Mm. 
and I saw how some people were treated, um, particularly one of my really close friends who had run as a candidate for a really long time. And yes, I know who you're talking about. Yep. Yeah, I don't feel like she got the respect she deserved. Um, yeah. And it was, and I'm still friends with her as well. So it was really oh. heartbreaking to watch how someone who like, gives themselves and has a really gen- genuine heart get sort of broken by politics. And, um, mm. you know, and then from then on, I really became more involved in animal rights oh. activism. And so also the, the green policies weren't up there and I was more leaning towards other parties like the AJP, but um, they don't really fit in line with me either. So oh. I'm just... An atheist. Yeah, mm. I'm just floating. floating. I'll vote for who can win me. <laughs> I'm that person, you know, that everyone's oh. trying to get the vote up. Really? Oh, Aren't right. I now? Now yeah. I'm the swinger. You're a swinger. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> nice to see you're a swinger. Do you swing singly or multiply? Well, you, you, you've got to swing multiply because you give preferences. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah people, I don't know what people are thinking then, but that's right. <laughs> it's preferences. I was thinking of swings in the park, actually. Oh, well, yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, there's multiple <laughs> swings in the park too. You, you, look, you make a very interesting point because some political parties are totally dominated by people who see it as a career and they'll do, yeah. and they'll do anything to get that pre-selection. And it, and it's, it happened in the Liberal Party, National Party, Labor Party, and to some extent in the Greens, as you, as you pointed out. And yeah. those type of people will stop at nothing and use any tactic to get that pre-selection. For them, it's a career. It's a, you know, it's a way to make a buck. And then there's other people yeah. who join political parties because they're interested in the causes, you know, and uh, all, all the policies... And they seem to be squeezed out all the time yeah, by, the, by the career, by the career. But I have to say, I think like Adam Brandt is a really quite legit person. Mm. Mm. So I was not talking about him. <laughs> no, no, no. I understand yeah. you're talking about. I've, I've known it. Yeah, I know Adam you do. Me. But if people listen to this, they might. No, no, I no. I don't want them to link it to Adam. No, 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 no. He's he's uh, he's, he's he's in a very difficult situation as leader of the Greens, where. Yeah. As they saw at the last state election, um, everybody preferenced against them and they didn't get the um, result they uh, expected in the mm. upper house. You know, that's the way the crumbly cook. Yeah, Adam... He Adam, couldn't turn in vegan, though, working in his office with four other vegans. His whole organising team was vegan and still, no. He didn't turn him. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> you used the V word. Vegan. Yeah. Vegan. What is a vegan? What is a vegan? Someone who doesn't um, eat or purchase or participate in animal products or animal use of animals. Mm-hmm. So how, how long? How long? As far as they can. Are you a know. vegan? Yeah, obviously. Well, not obviously. <laughs> well, yeah. But how long have you been a vegan for? Um, fourteen years, I think. And, and what um, drew you to that position? Well, I was vego for 10 years before that, so mm. I sort of, at first I I didn't want to eat animals because I thought that they should, they had a right to live um, and not, they weren't food. Um, also, I think, like, my mum was vegetarian for different parts of her life and I think she, even, like, she wasn't always vegetarian, but I think she had that feeling in her, like, she couldn't, and she would never put anything on my plate with a face or anything, like, she didn't 
So food always had to not look like it was an animal um, for her as well. So I sort of grew up thinking, um, yeah, I wanted to be friends with animals. And then when I hit an age, I think I was 18 maybe when I went vego. But then as I got older, I realised that being vegetarian doesn't mean that animals don't die for your existence. So just cutting out the actual flesh doesn't mean, Mm. you know... Yep, yep. Like in the, the egg industry, they kill all the baby males. And in the dairy industry, they kill all the baby males. God, we're they get a bad rap, all the baby males. Well, um, we are getting a bad rap. Next, it'll be human beings because we, you don't need the males. No. In a sophisticated, uh, mechanised society, we just need a few. That's true. We just freeze their sperm and that's it. Yeah. Well, and if you look at how animal agriculture has gone, like it wouldn't... I wouldn't put it past this to humans, for humans to do that. They're not my favourite animal, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and also just, I didn't know about, like, you know, the use of animals in animal testing for products. So, mm. like, I, so how, I think, yeah. So how hard is it to be a practising vegan? I mean, you're a practising vegan, not an intellectual vegan. Um, yeah, so I, I don't really think it's hard at all, to right. be honest. Like, okay. I think I'm intolerant of soy, like, so I can't, I didn't used to be, but I can't have soy without getting, like, stomach aches and stuff. That's hard, because to me, soy is food, and so if I see, like, if something's got soy in and I really want to eat it, like, for a long time I'd still eat it and just deal with it. Not so much now, because I can't, Um, but, but with animals or animal products or anything that has been associated with an animal suffering like to me that's not food so like it's easy for me to not eat that it's like I don't eat like my table because it's not food mm-hmm. so to me it's like in that sense it's really easy but I guess like the choices have changed like 14 years ago there was a lot of falafels <laughs> and, <laughs> and now there's a lot of different types of falafels and all these different types of potatoes which I swear never existed when I was growing up but yeah, like the food choices these days is so different. See, a lot of people, the reason I asked, I use the word sacrifice because a lot of people think it's, it's, it's a huge sacrifice not to eat meat products. So could you just tell us, just in a minute or so, what would be a normal day as far as what you eat? What I eat? Um, so usually I have fruit and usually for breakfast um, or cornflakes and fruit. Um, oh, so... Is this, we're just talking about food because I do a lot of exercise as well. So ah, I forget about the exercise. That, that makes don't me care s- about that. I mean, soy makes you sick. People talking about exercise makes me <laughs> sick. All right. Let's yeah. just talk about the food. <laughs> okay. Um, and then it depends on like if I'm home and working from home and stuff. But I eat, um, I eat a lot of popcorn. That's not popcorn. really. Popcorn. <laughs> I think my last tattoo was of popcorn because <laughs> I just love it. Anyway. It's um, the salt. Know, that's that's what you're after. Well, the sugar. <laughs> Nuts of salt, yeah, and the texture and the actual process of making it. Anyway, um, yeah, and for lunch I usually have like salad and then I'll have something with it, so maybe like a bean dish or something. So that's today's what lunch will be salad and um, like a Mexican thing that I started last night. Uh-huh. And then for dinner, um, like veggies and some other sort of protein. I don't eat as many carbs as most people should, I think. I don't really like them. Well, I do. I eat it in popcorn form. But, um, 
Yeah, so I ate a lot of popcorn. I ate a lot of sunflower seeds as well, so I ate a lot of seeds and mm. nuts and snacks. And I really like vegetables, so that's easy. That part's easier for me. I know why your father called you Princess Brie now, because you're yeah. the popcorn princess. <laughs> oh, my God. I need to use that. Yeah, it could be. You could, could be it on your letterhead. It could be your uh, avatar, the popcorn princess. <laughs> I could be my... Um, when I become a famous rock star, that's what we could call Oh, are you a musician? But you don't, no. You, you don't even play the... <laughs> oh, you've got to be an Elvis Presley rock star. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> old. Now, 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 I understand you do a little bit of uh, animal liberating. Um, I'm not going to say liberating. Um, I run an organisation, well, part, like, it's part of the Save Movement called Melbourne Duck Save, which is about um, bringing attention to ducks in the in factory farming so there's a whole like the save movement focus on you know bringing public attention to what happens in factory farming and the mm-hmm. way animals use so each sort of section has a different like it'll be a different focus like different animal mm-hmm. or there's also um health save and there's climate save and they're all based around like um health saves based around how being vegan benefits your health and climate saves based around how being vegan benefits the environment um, and climate. And so, yeah, so I noticed um, after being involved in something duck-related, um, I, I started, um, someone bought me some ducks and I had started to learn more about what it was like for, in factory farms for the ducks and there was no duck safe. And, um, yeah, so I, I had some ducks that were living here and um, I hadn't secured their enclosure probably in two of them were killed by a fox or a cat right. and so I actually started Melbourne Duck Days in honour of them mm-hmm. um, yeah so because right. there's a lot people don't people don't think about because it's not an, an, a meat that people often see they don't really think about it but people really love ducks like especially baby ones oh, I've got two baby yeah. ducks Look, I, I, in I, my bath right now have you oh. yeah so someone had dumped them at a lake so Initially, Melbourne Duck Save was set up for, you know, sort of activism and bringing attention to ducks in factory farms. Mm-hmm. But meanwhile, people people think that they, they get like a domestic duck, like from a hatching project or something like that, or they buy them on gum tree or whatever, or from farm, like a domestic, not a native duck, and then they get like... It outgrows their house or whatever, or it's not fluffy anymore, and it's cute, or I don't yeah. know what. Yeah. And they think that, oh, well, I'll let it go free to the lake. And a lot of people do that, and I think they think they're doing this really good thing, but the domestic ducks can't fly, so they're prone to predators. And they also compete with the native ducks, so they mate with them, and they also and like create these hybrids mm-hmm. that are like a native duck, but that can't fly. Right. And then, so then they're also prone to predators, and then they also like fight them for their nests. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's all these domestic ducks now, and so if someone brings wildlife Victoria and stuff, they've started ringing up because they can't take domestic ducks. Right. So now Melbourne Duck Save's kind of become like a rescue sort of. of so you need you ducks. need you need you need a, a, f- a farm with a large dam. I really do, mm. but I sort of I have four who live with me now, but because um, I live in suburbia, but I like ducks come and go all the time, and I just find them homes. Yes, oh, that's good. Like once they're better, like these two little ones, someone had like left them at the creek in um, 
mm. Camberwell, and so yeah. they're here. In, but they're too small to be out and about by themselves. Yeah, yeah. They're so cute. Now, I'm going to ask you one last question, which you, you may find offensive. I'm that type of person. You know, look, the popular conception of a vegan is somebody who's anorexic and sallow-looking, but you tell me you do exercise. So tell us oh, yeah. about your exercise program. Oh, I thought we didn't want to talk about this. I well, I just want to dispel this image that vegans are not healthy <laughs> people. Um. I'm healthier now than I've ever been, I'd say. Mm. Um, so I go for a run every morning, and I do... This morning I did upper body weights, so I did, like, pull-ups, and I also did core weights because um, I ruptured my discs a few years ago kicking a punching bag, and so I need to, like, kick... Well, I'm, p- I'm, pleased that, I'm pleased you weren't kicking a policeman. That's good it was only a punching bag. Well, I wouldn't do that because i get a bigger <laughs> sentence. Right. What a good use of my energy. Um, and, um, yeah, so I did, actually, last time I was arrested, I did try to get the cop to do a dance with me, though. I tried to convince him, like, we could flash mob the rest of them, but he wouldn't do it. Um, anyway, um, yeah, so I, I do a lot of weights um, and, yeah, a lot of running. And then I've been doing, since we've been in lockdown, I've been doing a lot of dance workouts because they're just fun. I really enjoy them, particularly it's like Halloween dance workouts or like rock dance workouts, something like that. I also, for quite a few years, was involved in a Bollywood dance troupe. Ooh. <laughs> Did you perform I, publicly? Yeah, we would perform in, at Diwali in Fed Square and right. sort of say... What did, the, what did the real people from Mumbai think about your uh, dancing? They always say that it's good. I mean, the people... <laughs> The people who run it are um, not all white people. No. <laughs> so the majority of the dancers um, mm. like been mm. dancing for a lot longer than I was. I just stopped doing it at the start of this year. Um, I, just, I don't know. I decided I was going to... I really want to try a different type of dancing, to be honest. Mm. I really like dancing. But yeah. yeah, I'm super muscly and stuff, so, so. really tanned. Tanned, muscle-bound vegan. I've now <laughs> exposed you. I mean, yeah. I, I'm going to worry. Next time I see a vegan, I'm just going to be really pleasant and polite. Yeah, well, we've got to be able to run fast and yeah. no. we've got to be able to withstand being tackled to the ground by cops. Yeah. Well, look, I'm, I'm really proud of the fact that uh, you've done so well with your life and you're doing so many great things in your middle age, as they say which means that you're going to do great things when you reach 100, I reckon, the way you're going. I don't really think that's too much time. I can't go that long. Of course you can. There's not enough popcorn in the world. No, yes, there is. Yes, there is. Yes, where I live, uh, there's lots of corn growing everywhere. So, really? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah in central so Victoria, there's, central Victoria, there's tons of corn. Oh. Mainly, yeah, yeah, tons of corn. That's where you get your popcorn from, you know? You just don't get dried corn. Or do you get yours from Mexico, do you? I don't know where it comes from. It comes from Thomastown. Thomastown. <laughs> Look, uh, is there any... Do you run any websites where people can contact you uh, regarding many of the uh, things you're involved in or not? Um, if people are interested in, like, Melbourne Duck Safe, they can go on Facebook. and We're on Instagram and Facebook. 
they want to have a look or ask any questions or if anyone also like interested in adopting ducks because we get a lot um they can contact me or whoever whoever else is monitoring the facebook at the time um through there mm-hmm. yeah, that's good. yeah cause we're always looking for new homes for ducks because we get them a lot like people find them or yeah. So if, they, if there's somebody listening who owns some land with a large dam, maybe they and should... And who won't eat them. No, 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 no. And, yeah. keep, and keep the shooters away, you know. Yeah. You, know. Yeah. you never know. If you don't ask, you don't know. Exactly. We'll put it out in the wilderness. Yeah. We'll see what happens. The program will be podcast, which means they're forever and ever. So... Um, all I can say is it's been a pleasure talking to you. I'd like to thank yeah, Kelly, Whit- Kelly Whitworth for uh, whipping you out of the barrel for today so I can speak thank to you. you. And I'm sure all our listeners have got a, a lot from your life because what you've done is is quite extraordinary when you think about it and you should be very proud of yourself. And if you're not, oh, I am. You. Okay. Well, you have a fabulous day. And, yeah, don't do any exercise. Thank you very much for helping me. <laughs> all the best. <laughs> Freedom of species has hit the airwaves. Tune in for debates and updates on both local and international animal protection news and events, and learn about how you can live a cruelty free, sustainable lifestyle. Animales news, views, and non leather shoes that's Freedom of Species, 1 pm Sundays on 3CR. Authorised by the last few remaining kangaroos, Canberra. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.